hopefully, hopefully the new setting isn't too, too disruptive. Um, <laughs> does feel weird. Yeah, yeah. Some of, some of you, some of you thought you were done with this room and never had to. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to be less than an hour and more like, um, but. Um, but anyway, thanks. Michelle and I were talking this morning about, uh, yeah, I got it, um, about making this switch. And we were kind of saying one of the things that we, we've appreciated about this church from the beginning is kind of how I think as a community we've embraced this disruption of the routine almost as a good thing. Almost of a, and we don't want to get so comfortable with the routine of church that it becomes just a religious Sunday morning, we sit in this spot here and do the same thing. Um, and so I don't know if this actually helps at all, but, but anyway, we, we were just talking about it. I think it is one of the things we've appreciated about this community is, is kind of this embracing of, no, let's, let's disrupt ourselves a little bit and refocus. Because um, this isn't about where we sit or how we do it, it is about and about who we're coming to celebrate, about what we're trying to focus on. Um, and so this morning we are, yeah, talking a little bit about, about the Christmas story, about Jesus coming to earth. We spent the last couple of months talking about how Jesus has interacted with, with his friends, with his enemies, with the people around him. Um, and so today we're kind of rewinding and starting, okay, this is how Jesus came to earth. Um, God Almighty coming coming as a baby. Um, but before I get into it, I have a, a confession to make. Um, I'm curious. I was genuinely curious if anyone else has done this, but I feel dumb saying it. Um, when I read the Bible, when I read the Gospels, it's pretty frequent that I skip the Christmas story and just start... If I'm going to read Luke, I'm just going to start Luke 3. Or if I'm reading Matthew, I'm just... Has anyone else ever done this? Yes, yes, thank you, okay. And I, at this time of year, I always feel dumb about it. Um, but I, the reason I do it is it just seems so familiar. It just feels like, am I really going to read... Luke 1, Luke 2, like, am I really going to read about the shepherds and the wise men? I know that. Let's go. I want to hear Jesus' teachings. I need to be reminded of that. That's what I forget. Um, and so, so often, this is a story that I, I almost skip um, because I feel like I know the story so well. Um, but as I think all of us know, there's a a difference between like knowing something and getting it, right? Like there's a difference between knowing the story and really understanding what it's about, what it's trying to teach us. Um, recently, our kids, parents taught their kids this German like song prayer that they've been doing before they pray. Danke, danke den Herrn, denn er ist so freundlich. Seine gute Wahrheit wäret ewiglich. And so the kids, they love this. They all want to be the one to pray and sing this 
but then they don't like other people joining them. And so the idea behind the song prayer is for everyone to join in. We actually had to ban that prayer this week. <laughs> because for weeks, every meal, it was a fight. Someone would start, and someone else would just very quietly <laughs> like pretending like they're innocent, and the person who started would scream, like, and it's so infuriating being like, you guys are fighting over talking and thanking God. <laughs> and it ends in tears and screaming and anger every time. And it's just this picture of, they know the words of thanksgiving, they know the words that we're trying to say, but are totally, totally missing the heart of it. Totally missing, and this is what it's about. Um, and so today as we kind of read, if we are going to read in Luke 2, um, the kind of Christmas story, I think we're not going to spend a lot of time on the details of the story, and instead go, okay, what is the heart of this passage. What is the Christmas story all about? What is the truth that we need to get into our hearts that's going to affect how we live? Um, so I've already done a lot of talking and we'll continue. Does someone else want to read? It is a, a long chunk. Luke 2, 1 to 21. Does anyone want to? Yeah, Ty, do you want to read it for us? Um, okay, the birth of Jesus. Uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, <coughs> and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, uh, which the Lord has told them <coughs> So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they, uh, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, uh, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. I'm just going to pray for us again, and then I'll kind of pull out some things that stood out to me. So, 
God, we are just so grateful, um, and not for the story, but for the reality that you came down to earth. Um, God, as we reflect on it, would you yeah, help help us not just to to learn the story, but to and to understand the heart of what's going on, to grasp man, to grasp how huge this is, to grasp um, how life changing it is. God would, yeah, you just. Just get this into our heads and into our hearts this morning. Amen. There's a couple things as I was reading this um, and kind of thinking over the last week and so that really stood out to me. Um, the first one is actually from the very first couple of verses. Um, the passage starts off, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. These are the type of verses that make me want to skip the story, because it seems like, okay, some governor was there, I don't know his name, I don't even really know the geography, what does it matter? Um, but one of the things that I had to remind myself as I was thinking of the story is, is just the truth that this is an actual historic story that actually happened. Um, and I think in my head I know that, but I, I feel like I need to be reminded of that. Um, because because of Christmas pageants, because of the commercialized Christmas story that we see, that this is so familiar, in my head I almost start treating this like a fairy tale. Um, anyone else, can anyone else relate to that? where you sometimes forget that this is is a historic account, it was, right? It was so annoying to me that I turned out 80 Christmas for like the last time. I still, I, I still <laughs> had a few, but I won't put that on other people. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, but the whole, the whole point in Luke writing this is, like it says in Luke 1, this is how he starts his, right, like his book, his better here. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were first were eyewitnesses and servant of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. So that's why he starts off with, man, this was the year it happened. This was who was in power. Here are all the historic events that are taking place to remind us this isn't, isn't just a story. This is something that really happened. Um, and again, I think that's something I need to, I need to remind myself. Um, not that I don't believe that's true, but, but somehow the doubt still kind of creeps in. Where you even start to wonder, like, was Mary really a virgin? Like, did that really, did that really happen? Was there really a star and people followed it? Like, did angels really appear to shepherds? Or is this just some exaggeration that took place afterwards to kind of make this seem special? Um, but one of the things that, that's so interesting about, about God coming to earth about this whole story is the, like, 
the tension or the contradiction between this almighty, unbelievable, supernatural event mixed with this super mundane, unassuming, boring birth story. Of, on the one hand, you have all this prophecy, like all of history leading to this moment of God coming down. And at the same time, you have two people trying to find a bed to give birth and doing it in a stable with the rest of life just kind of going on for most people. A couple of shepherds, a couple of wise men aside, for most people, this wasn't a very big event. Um, and yet, and yet, like I said, the, the other side is this is something that was designed and foretold and prepared for thousands of years before. Um, and so I just wanted to take a moment to, to remember, remind ourselves of that. Um, but this, this is real. This wasn't an accident. Um, in the Bible, I... Again, I feel like I used to be very into the prophecies of Jesus and kind of looking into them. Um, and again, over time, maybe I've, I get almost hesitant to talk about them because there's so many that I think, I feel like I can explain away, right? Like, have you ever read the prophecies and are kind of like, okay, was that really talking about Jesus? Or we just pulled this one verse out of context and now we're saying that's proved that this is real, like, right? Like, there's this, there's this hesitancy for me to even, like, talk about them but I also think while there's some that I still feel like I don't really know if that was a clear prop there's so many that I think are pretty obvious um, and I think we really do ourselves and everyone a disservice when we just throw them all away without recognizing how supernatural Jesus was um, Peter Stoner he was a math professor back in the 50s. Um, and so he looked at these prophecies and, um, and wrote a book called Science Speaks. Um, but in it, he, he was kind of a statistician and was trying to figure out what was the chances of someone fulfilling some of the major prophecies of Jesus just by coincidence. Um, what, are, what are the odds that this could happen without supernatural being involved? Um, and so he just picked eight prophecies. Um, so there's like, there's hundreds of prophecies. Um, he just picked eight and was like, hey, what are the chances that these eight could be fulfilled just by chance? Um, and again, a couple of them I'm, I would read and go like, man, I don't know if that was a prophecy, but, but some of them are pretty clear. Um, for example, Micah, Micah chapter 5, um, in verse 2, prophesied where Jesus would be born. This is written pretty, pretty, like, not really, scholars don't really argue with this. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus. And it said, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Hundreds of years before, so then Bethlehem, you're the small town. We know you're not big among the clans. Out of you is going to come a ruler who's going to be of ancient of days, who's going to be from old. Um, and, and so, like I said, this, this professor looked at eight prophecies. That was one. 
He looked through the prophecy of the messenger coming before Jesus, of John the Baptist. There's lots of prophecies about him, a messenger coming before Jesus. Um, talked about Jesus riding in on a donkey to Jerusalem. Um, how he'd be betrayed by a friend in Zechariah. It talks about how he'd be betrayed by a friend. Um, and then specifically for 30 pieces of silver. Looked at, okay, what are the odds that someone is betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? Um, it's, again, in Zechariah, prophesied that the betrayed money would be used to purchase a potter's field. Um, prophesied in Isaiah that Jesus would be quiet while he was afflicted and crucified. That he wouldn't, wouldn't argue back. Um, and, and, and again, some of these I go like, yeah, maybe Jesus knew the prophecy. Maybe he knew that's what he did know it. And so he was quiet to kind of fulfill it. Um, but, but I also think while, like, while there's some logic in that argument, I think, man, let's just take this as a whole. Does, that, does this really seem like these were all masterminded by a human? Um, the last one, I'll read this one too. This is Psalm 22. Um, written over a thousand years before Jesus. Um, before, before crucifixion was even invented. Um, it says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of dirt, dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It's pretty hard to explain away, but that seems like a pretty clear, um, clear picture of this. And again, written long before crucifixion even existed as a, as a form of execution. But so, so just these eight prophecies, um, he looked at and tried to figure, okay, what are, what are the odds that this would happen? Um, and Emory came up with one in a hundred quadrillion is the mathematical odds that just eight prophecies would happen by chance. Um, so that's... A, that's ten, like that's a one with seventeen zeros behind it. Um, and so I think I was trying to think of okay, what's a picture? Because I feel like I can't understand that number. Um, if you were to count every like one number every second and just start counting, does anyone want to guess how many years it would take to count to a hundred quadrillion? <laughs> A little ten, more than that. Ten quadrillion. Ten quadrillion? Not quite ten quadrillion. Um, <laughs> three billion. It takes them three billion years of counting, 24 hours a day, to count to, to 100 quadrillion. Um, Stoner uses the, the analogy. He says, if you were to, he talks about Texas, but Alberta is pretty close to the same size as Texas. He says, if you were to fill it with 100 quadrillion silver coins, um, so quarters probably, so it'd be about two feet, the whole province, in quarters. And so he says, mark one of those quarters, mix them all up, and send a blind man out to pick one up, and what are the chances he picks the right one up? Um, that's statistically the odds that this, and 
that this wasn't supernatural, that this was just by chance. Um, and again, that's just eight. As you go to more prophecies, the numbers just get completely ridiculous. Um, he says if you were to, to just pick 16 of the prophecies, um, you have a one with 45 zeros on the end of it, which no idea what number that is. Um, if you had 48, you picked 48, and it's 10 to the 157th power. 157 zeros is the statistical likelihood of some of this just happening by chance. Um, and I think that that matters because this is what our faith rests on. Um, and again, I think I have a tendency to, to almost trick myself into turning this into a kid's story of, okay, here's, here's a story to teach Phoebe. But to think, oh, man, this is something that God knew and planned for and so perfectly came to play. Um, because this really was God coming to earth. C.S. Lewis, I recently read Mere Christianity. He has a chapter about faith in it um, and talks about how faith isn't believing something in spite of evidence. He kind of talks about how, if, man, if we really had all the evidence against something and believed it anyway, that would be folly. That's not faith. Um, instead, he talks about how faith is once you've been convinced of something by the evidence, holding on to it regardless of what your emotions or your imaginations tell you in the moment. Um, it's this idea of once you believe something, faith is holding on to it regardless of how much up and down you go in life. Um, and he, again, he uses the picture of, of kind of when you're about to go into a painful surgery, you know the doctor's trained, they know how to put you under, you know you're going to wake up and everything will be okay. Where faith comes in is the moment they start to bring a needle close to you and all those imaginary thoughts run through your head of, this isn't going to work, this is going to hurt, this isn't going to go well. It's kind of like, then that's where faith kicks in to hold on to say, like, no, I, I believe this is real. I believe this is what matters. Um, and I think I need to remind myself again of the Christmas story of, and there's moments when I don't feel like God is present. I don't feel like God is among us or in my life to then hold on to say, no, this is, this is real. This is true. This really happened. Um, God really did come down to earth. Um, and that really is, again, if I started off by like, hey, what's the essence of this story? What is, what is this really about? What this story is, is about God the Almighty coming down to earth. Um, again, in this funny mix of supernatural, prophesied, God-orchestrated, and very mundane, average childbirth. But I want to just settle on this idea of God coming down to earth um, for a few minutes, because I... I think even that is, is what it's about and something that sometimes we take for granted and becomes familiar. Um, one more, again, kind of long chat passage for us to read. Someone read John 1. Um, John 1 doesn't give the Christmas story the way Matthew or Luke do. Um, instead, this is how he 
introduces Jesus coming into the world. Um, does someone want to read John 1, 1 to 18? Yeah, Aaron? Other Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the light was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 18? Yeah. And the world, word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he exists before me. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law has given, was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. Um, again, a long, a long passage with a lot in it. But it starts, in the beginning was the Word. And so, so John here doesn't even use the name Jesus. He uses this idea of God, Jesus being the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. It goes on to say, verse 14, the word, so Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I think most of us have heard this before. Um, but the idea that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God, the God, the creator of the universe, coming down to earth. It says in Psalm 33, By a word of the Lord the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. And I was just trying to think of the thought that Jesus existed before, not just before me and you, 
before anything we see, before the whole universe was even created, there was a time where God and Jesus in this, and the Holy Spirit in this Trinity that we don't even understand existed. And then God had this thought to create everything we see. And this is the God who now looks at his creation and goes, I want to make my dwelling among you. I want to leave my home. I want to leave my glory behind and come down to be light and life for mankind. I don't know about you, but I, I have a hard time even picturing what that means or what that looks like. When we talk about God, I feel like God is so far above what I even comprehend. Um, it's hard to wrap my head around this. Um, I was talking at camp this last summer um, to, to like high school and junior highs, and there was this boy, his name was, well, I won't tell name. There was a boy in junior yeah, high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I don't even know, but anyway. Um, and it was funny because he was kind of a, that's good, kind of a punk kid. Like he was getting in trouble the whole week. Um, but then I was talking a little, little God and, and God's love for us. And so he, the one day he's asking questions like, I just don't get it. What do you mean God coming to save us? Like, it makes no sense. And as he's talking to me and, and he goes like, okay, it's kind of like, you're telling me it would be like me driving down the highway and then slamming on the brakes to look for an ant, to, to tell that ant to get off the road, to move off the side. And, and I was like, that's a pretty good picture of what this is. Like, and that's kind of the level of like, of unbelievable of, and of one of us speeding down the highway and then hopping out and picking up this ant. Like, Are you okay? How can I help you? How can I save you? And here we have God in all his glory saying, no, no, I actually want to come and dwell among you. I actually want to, want to leave everything I have and be born in the most humble of circumstances to come and to rescue us out of darkness. Pretty incredible, incredible thought. Um, it's the reason we celebrate at Christmas, right? Um, I love how when you look, look at the story in Luke, um, the progression from, from Jesus is born and then the shepherds and how quickly it turns to joy and celebration. Um, going back to Luke 2, um, I'll start reading verse 8. After Jesus is born, it says, There were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
right? Here's this good news of great joy, and this is going to change everything for you. And then right away, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those from whom his favor rests. I was trying to think of, again, and here's a few shepherds who get this glimpse, who I think get this understanding of, wow, something big is happening here. Man, great joy, like good news of great joy. <clears throat> trying to think of the rest of the town of Bethlehem. Like, how, can you imagine, I don't know if you ever could, can you imagine finding out like 20 years later that you were in the house next to wherever Jesus was born? <laughs> and being like, how did I miss it? I was there. Like, can you, I mean, says the inns were full. Imagine all the other people who traveled there. And we're so close to the birth of the Almighty coming down to earth and went through the night and got up and went about their day. And it's so, like, man, it's upsetting to think about, about being someone that close and missing it. Um, and yet I think I do that almost every Christmas season where I do the gifts, I do the tree. I'm, I hear this story so many times that I get sick of it. I'm so close to what God's doing, and yet somehow I miss it. And I get up and go about my day and miss the fact that, man, this is God coming down. This is salvation coming to earth. God making a way for us to reunite with him. We're going to take communion in just a, just a couple of minutes. Um, but while I pour that out and kind of get it ready, um, I want to just give us a couple of minutes to just pause and reflect. Pause and reflect on the thought that, and this, this is something that really happened. Right? Like this is not just a fairy tale. This is God coming to earth, as crazy as that sounds. Um, and, and yet, even just to be honest with God, say, God, sometimes I miss that. Sometimes I take communion every week and forget that this is you. Word, word becoming flesh and here for us. Um, so I'll give you a couple minutes while I pour out some glasses and then we'll the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. The response, they went, praised and glorified God because of what they had seen, because it was just as they had been told. Um, let me pray for, for the elements here. God, we marvel at you coming down to earth, um, and yet I also know that 
and I miss it. I hear the story and miss its significance. God, thank you for the grace you show us even in that. I thank you that you came down to earth and, and ultimately came to earth to die for us. So just thank you that and this, this month we can remember your birth and that right now we can remember your, and your body that was broken for us. you for caring so much about us that you came down came down to earth for us and died for us amen